Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague. See what I said there, Jason? I did. You're welcome. Jason Oakland. Um, Mike is unable to join us today. Michael has been all over the place presenting this summer um, and was recently, I believe, presenting in Nebraska, if I can share his personal information, and just got back uh, late last night. So yeah. we hope that went well, and we will be recording without him today. Is this, this isn't a first. We've done one with, without him before. Yeah, yeah, we've done at least one. This might be the two. second yeah. without him. Um, Certainly no more than the third. Yeah, and the, the nice thing is that if we do something Mike doesn't like, he won't even know because I guarantee he will not listen <laughs> um, to this episode. Uh but maybe someone will, unless someone brings it up to him and says, like, oh, man, so Wade said this, you know. And then he'll yep. go listen just so that he can then Give express it. his disappointment. Yeah, to you. exactly. Yeah. Um, we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go to 1517.org and find all kinds of good stuff. They've got old podcasts there that have been there for a while. They've got some new podcasts, I believe, that have just come out. Um, they've got books, academy courses, blog posts, all of that. Encourage you go check that out. Fifteen seventeen dot org. Um, our main topic today is going to be um, we wanted to go with something focused, narrow um, that we can really dig into. So we we tried to really pick a a topic that wasn't too general, and our topic is going to be. The Bible. <laughs> um, so in today's episode, we will be talking about the Bible. But what will we be talking about? Well, um, we're not going to get into the, the dates of all the books or the names of all the books. But the Bible in general, right? What is? What are some things that come to mind that just people should understand about the Bible if they want to engage it or if they at least want to understand what it is, right? There's all kinds of a – in public discourse, you'll get – Bible verses tossed out or people who will um, say, well, the, this about, or that about the Bible. Um, and sometimes th- those things are done without attention to context or even realizing what the nature of the Christian scriptures is. So that's what we'll be talking about. Um, we'll see if I uh, come up with a quick free-for-all topic to toss out um, to my brother in Christ, uh, Jason Dale Oakland. <laughs> and... Uh, But in the meanwhile, let's go ahead and get to our disclaimer. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you are just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And that brings us to our free-for-all, and I guess the topic I will throw out to you, Jason. I'm not throwing it out to you before this moment because I want your gut reaction. Mm. Okay. You've now been a year in teaching. Yes. You now actually live in a house. Yes. That's, um, not not exactly close um, because Jason is definitely a 
live a little bit ways out type guy. Yeah. Living where there's a quick trip. <laughs> yes. Right? Right. And they don't put quick trips right in the city. Yeah. Um, you've, uh, you've got a year under your belt. You're preparing for your next uh, semester coming up. Um, your second or third goal mm-hmm. in some courses. Yep. Um, you're now moved from Nina where you had served. So this is a transition point one yep. year after having um, left the uh, the pastoral ministry. That was your pastoral ministry there. Yes. I'm not saying you're out of the pastoral ministry. The, the parish now, that I had served. Right, where yes. Wisconsin Synod, everyone's in the pastoral ministry. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, but um, you've had a year now, and we won't go long on this free for all. But I'm just curious to get your take. Um, one or two things um, that you really enjoyed about teaching, you're looking forward to doing more because you really enjoyed or enjoyed about teaching at WLC. Um, so it could be classroom related, it could just be campus related, and then one or two things that um, not necessarily that you didn't enjoy, but that like you realized, okay, these are kind of challenging things and i um you know these are things i'll be working on getting more used to or retooling sure i think right for instance uh um you know coming in i I really enjoyed the colleagues we have and kind of being in an environment where you could have lunch with different people each day and hear about their disciplines but like things to retool was like uh even something as simple as what am i going to have up on the learning uh the lms right Mm -hmm. the on the might have you'll see or whatever. So there could be wherever you want to go with it. Um, what comes to mind, Brother Jason? Um, I would say a couple of things that I really enjoyed. Um, I enjoy uh, interacting with the classes and seeing when, you know, something really hits and uh, lights up. And it's, us- and it's usually not necessarily 100% across the board in any class where you have, like, man, whatever – whatever we were talking about that day or how, how, you know, I was presenting it that day really clicked, but there's always, um, or I should say there are those days when you get, whether it's just one or two that really, really clicked or, you know, a good chunk of the class and, and to be able to see that. And, um, that's always, that's, that's been probably the most enjoyable thing. Um, I definitely have enjoyed being a part of the, the larger, um, campus community um that that's a little bit different and we had we had a decent sized staff uh at the congregation that i had served when you incorporate the uh lutheran elementary school and its staff as well so i mean that that was something that i uh, enjoyed being a part of but you know it's interesting in that you know being part of a larger group like you said you have so many different people from different areas that you know, th- there's always an interesting conversation to be had, but at the same time, because there are so many more, it's harder to maybe build some of those bridges, except with the people that you're most, um, regularly working with or, or close to, um, like for example, you know, we interact with certainly the theology department and then the history department is on our floor as well. So we, we interact with them quite a bit, but like people in the sciences, you know, they're... I also interact with them because I'm in the history right, department. Yes, yeah. yes. And now, you know, you, you've transitioned a little bit there. So um, the... But like some of the science, the people in the sciences, they're clear across campus that you just don't see them quite as often. So so it'll be interesting now being closer and, and having a little more time on campus. I'm kind of looking forward to being 
uh, to to one thing that I'd like to do is be a more regular part of campus life beyond because my my on campus schedule last year was just so packed from the time I got convenient? here. Oh, I oh and and it I mean it was convenient given the commute that that helped a lot, but I didn't have a lot of open time. I, know what I mean evenings are pretty much out. Most yeah. Of the time. yeah, evenings were out, and even when I was here, especially with, with winter weather. Yeah, yeah, and even when I was here, it was basically between chapel and teaching and meetings. I maybe had a free period or two, but then you know you had to drive an hour and a half almost back home and so you just didn't have a lot of time to hang out so that so that's one I'm kind of looking forward to engaging in some of those other areas of of campus a little bit more Um, and then I would say the other thing looking to retool maybe a little bit is last year was so much about just creating content making sure that you have something that you're going to talk about that next class making sure that you yeah. know what you're going to cover. Trying to stay one class ahead. Yeah, yep. trying to stay, you know, a class or two ahead. Um, I'm looking forward now maybe to fine-tune that a little bit. And, and some of the things that I had experimented with last year, some hey, that worked out really well. Other things, nope. That <laughs> I, I, I don't know if uh, that's something that I'm going to go back to anytime real soon. But, uh, yeah, those are the type of things that um, – looking to retool a little bit going I've I'm started go- looking at my class notes a bit um, for th- this semester coming up and reworking a few things and so that that's probably what I'm looking to retool I'd like to be a little more a part of campus life and and then fine-tune some of those things in the lessons themselves that I was working on so do you have a particular course you're most looking forward to this semester you're they're all repeats right this they are all repeats is there a one you're looking at this new round it's most excited about this new round for um I would say that like the the freshman survey the intro to scripture course the the content is pretty set but it's the the makeup of the group and I had four four groups over two semesters last year and each group was different and that was and they were all enjoyable and I'm that's always kind of interesting to see the makeup of the the group that I get so I'll be looking forward to seeing the the two groups that I get in the fall again Um, I am looking forward to tweaking a bit the history of Christianity course again from the way I taught it last year I have to so all my classes were Monday, Wednesday, Friday last year. This course will be taught as well as one other one this semester on Tuesday and Thursday schedule. So I have to tweak that a little bit, and that'll give me a chance to rework a few things as I as I do that. So that's probably the one I'm looking forward to the most, just because it's probably the one that's right now has the is the most most is the one that is mostly mine that that I've reworked it the way that I wanted to do sure. it where the other ones, you know, kind of building on others foundations, you know, which is fine. And that's been yep. very helpful. But, uh, this one I'm, and I had resources to draw from, but I've had to make it mine more so than some of the other ones. So, and, uh, and Jason, you will be a student this semester as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing that be an interesting dynamic to figure out, um, how that will work teaching and then keeping up with my own schoolwork as I enter my um, 
PhD program through Concordia in St. Louis. So, and you'll be doing historical theology. Historical theology, um, yeah, focus in Reformation history, Reformation and I think studies. I you'll enjoy so. that. I look forward to uh, gleaning um, from what you end up doing with that and some of the readings lists and stuff too. So. Yeah, I got a couple of my two courses for the fall semester are set already and uh, um, haven't necessarily gotten specific contact or reading lists yet, but uh, starting to get a little bit of information as I look. So, so yeah, I'm excited about that, too. As you make your way towards becoming Dr. Jason Dale. Yes. Oakland. Yes, exactly. J.D. Oakland, Ph.D. Ph.D., yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that'll take take a take a little while, of course, to march Probably through that path. But about uh, a year or so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. I'm I'm confident at least a year. So. Okay. Well, <laughs> with that, uh, we got a little sense from Jason's. Uh, we had his enchanted summer last time, and now as we're dialing in for the semester, his experience here at the college. I'm glad to hear it. Overall, it's been a uh, good. I was kind of thinking, um, one of the things you really enjoyed would be um, your third four colleagues. Yeah. And especially your theology department. Yep. Colleagues. um, I have enjoyed that, yes. I feel like at least one went over the top to help make your first year special. That's true. Special in many ways. Many, many ways, yes. Yes. Yep. How about about you looking ahead to the fall? Is there anything that you're specifically looking forward to or enjoying Um, or changing? With transitioning to the history department as well, I have... Um, two repeat courses because I had already been helping out in history. Mm-hmm. Um, so that won't be building anything. Um, but I did rebuild ethics and I did rebuild somewhat history of the Reformations and I'm rebuilding Christ and culture. So I am looking forward to seeing how some of the new books go over with the students. You never know. Right. Um, those are all three reading intensive courses and some books hit and some books miss, and that's mm-hmm. just the nature of life. And as a professor, you know that's going to happen. Um, but sometimes it's really hard to predict which will do what, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And then um, um, one of the challenges will be Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, they used to be a really quiet, peaceful day on campus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no what, one, like, standing changed? in my office door <laughs> um, or asking me a bunch of questions, and I just I feel like that may change. Yeah. Although I did on my my new schedule is out. I don't know if you saw this, Jason. Oh, I did not. I and did not I put that. in several slots um, that I'll be in my office. It says research and grading. Then parentheses, just to be clear, it says not available. <laughs> because sometimes people, you would never do this, but sometimes people right. see me in there. Yep. And they just assume I want to like talk about Nina, Wisconsin. Manhole or, covers. And- or their, yeah. Whiskey barrels. and They're thinking of um, redoing their patio or yep. whatever else. Yeah. 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 So that'll we'll see how that goes. But all right, that's enough of that. Mike would be <laughs> shaking his head right now because we've gone a while on the free-for-all, and we'll make our way to the main topic.
And that brings us to our main topic, which is the Bible. And uh, and so when we talk about the Bible, the, the Bible just means the word Jason means. Book. The book. The book. Um, part of this is uh, that Christians were um, played an important role in kind of the development of the Codex, right? That um, mm-hmm. we, we think of uh, much writing up to this time would have been uh, scrolls. And the Christians would have had plenty of scrolls as well. Uh, we think of Jesus in the synagogue taking out the scroll of, of Isaiah. Uh, but the Codex being kind of the development of a book-like thing, right? That you're putting these things together. Yeah, the, like a Codex would be what, what we think of as a book, right? Where it's bound mm-hmm. it's bound on one end and you can open it to whatever page or yep. or you know leaf you're, you're looking to open to. And much more practical than rolling from one end of the scroll to the other like if you're trying to find a yeah find a specific place right and if you want to have multiple books in a book right not just yeah. um, a scroll of one text like yeah. one letter say the epistle to the romans but if you want to have multiple um epistles or eventually the whole canon mm-hmm. right in one one book um and remind me we'll get to canon in a little bit mm-hmm. But already we see when we talk about the Bible then, most people, when they hear the Bible, they think one book, right? You go to the bookstore or you go to um, Walmart always seems to be selling them, right? Yes. You, you go to Walmart or um, and uh, or on Amazon, you know, you want to fuel, um, you know, the race to the moon. Um, <laughs> and uh, you get a Bible and right? that's one book. It doesn't come in multiple volumes. It's just one book. And yet at the same time, this one book, the Bible, um, is many books. And we, um, not books in the traditional sense of like, most of these, if you tried to publish them in book form, would be very small. Yeah. Outside of um, the Gospels, maybe the prophet Isaiah, the Psalms. Um, but even then, those aren't thick books. Um, so it's a collection of many books in one. And it also then has no one author uh sometimes you get people that will have a simplistic the bible gets marketed right Mm -hmm. and so for instance you can buy a holy bible Mm -hmm. well why is it a holy bible because it sells better if you put holy yes i've always wanted to create the super holy bible (laughs) um because i think that could really help sales uh the holy of holies bible yeah and sometimes you'll see people simplify and say bible author god uh but God is most definitely not the author of the Bible. Uh, God only wrote uh, one part of the Bible, really, with his own hands. Mm-hmm. And that ended up getting smashed. <laughs> right. Um, yep. But God did inspire the scriptures by his spirit, inspiring meaning to breathe into, uh, so that men wrote as they were led, kind of like wind and sails. I know that's not a perfect picture exegetically, but that's, it can be helpful. Um, when, you know, with the sailboat, think of Tommy Boy. Yes. And he's sitting out in a sailboat and he asked Dad for a little help because a sailboat needs wind. Uh, got and, it. And Go maybe ahead. too that, that just a, to note that word inspiration is just literally taken over from the Latin words to breathe into. To breathe in. And think yeah. of respire. Yeah. Respiration yep. is yep. we breathe in, we breathe out. Yep. When something goes bad, it expires. It's breathed its last. Or in the case of milk, it just... Smells bad. bad. Yeah. Gets chunky. The, so, 
uh, when we talk about author even, it someone might say God, but eh, people wrote it, although God inspired it. And then even when we think of other books, we tend to think of books as an author sat down over a period of a year, a decade, whatever, and wrote a book. But this happened during that author's lifetime. Or multiple authors sat down and wrote chapters for a book, but this often usually happens in a lifetime. Another thing that sets the Bible apart, and it sets it apart even from something like the Koran um, that is written during Muhammad's lifetime and really does have one author, uh, insofar as Muhammad is probably dictating this, uh, and he will claim also inspiration from God, but mm-hmm. but there's one prophet writing yeah. the Koran. Uh, <clears throat> one key difference, too, is the Bible chronologically covers a, a huge span of time. We, we sometimes look at the events in the Bible and we think, oh, man, stuff was just constantly happening to Israel. But if you look at the amount of time covered from Moses' account of the creation of the world to the last of the prophets, which, you know, we get to the intertestamental period, uh, this is a, this, the content is covered in a, a crazy amount, millennia yep. of time. When you add the New Testament, uh, this is then even more as we get to um, the Gospels and then the Epistles. It's covering all kinds of, of, of um, chronology, but also culture. Mm-hmm. So you have, even in the Old Testament, you might think, well, th- this is, they're writing two and four Jews. You know, uh, well, kind of. The New Testament, if we read the Old Testament in the light of the New, says that all who believe are sons of Abraham, and right, the Israel of God is all believers. And if God is inspiring the Old Testament, it's it's written for all people of all time to be an audience. But it is also written for people in the ancient Near East at specific times and specific places. But even the experience of the Jews was a very diverse thing. Yep. Um, you have the Jews in slavery in Egypt. You have... Abraham, right, the father of the Jews, uh, who's in Ur of Chaldea. You'll later have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You have Jews in in the diaspora throughout the world. And then you get to the New Testament, and you have Luke likely writing for Gentiles and Matthew likely writing for Jews. You have Paul writing to congregations throughout the known world. Uh, some of some of which were mainly Gentile, some of which were a mix of Jew and Gentile. Some, some which know. were very Greekified, Hellenized, yep. or Romanized, some less so. Um, some more urban or cosmopolitan mm-hmm. than others. Uh, some uh, with um, backgrounds that would have um, been familiar with philosophical context, some with less. There, there's a great diversity of these yeah. things. Some tremendously gifted, other others struggling with, mm-hmm. you know, specific false teaching or other, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot of diversity. Yeah, so when we say the Bible, um, hopefully one thing we can knock out of our head right now is that it, you know, the concept of one unified book, in this, one unified text in the sense of um, the way a novel would be written or even your average nonfiction book, uh, and also um, one unified audience. And you might say, well, no author writes for just a unified audience. Well, in a way they do. Mm-hmm. When, um, 
Rowling's or whatever writes Harry Potter books, she's writing them for people, young adults, you know, in the 90s or 2000 or 2010, yep. largely in the West. Um, in this case, uh, drastically different audiences are receiving these texts. Uh, it, this could be someone who's living 1,500 years before Christ. This could be someone living 400 years before Christ. This could be someone living 100 years after Christ. Um, and so not a unified audience in that sense. Really an audience. We had an episode a little while ago about why we should be small C Catholic. Mm-hmm. For a Catholic audience, one that reflects revelation, every tribe, people, language, um, this, this, this is a text that is for all people. The challenge will be it's also a text that's given to a specific people at a specific time. And so one of the things that um, I like that Dr. Berg does is he has a PowerPoint. Um, I believe it's a PowerPoint. Maybe he just says it, but I believe I've walked by and seen it. Um, where when he's talking about the Old Testament, he'll, he'll tell the students God literally had to tell them not to have sex with animals multiple times. I'm going to go ahead and do a retroactive earmuffs there if there's kids in the car. I'm not going to say that again. but um, And we might look at that and go, why is he saying that? Yep. Well, ancient Near Eastern culture at the time, this was a thing that was said. Or um, a bunch of and stuff related to ancient Near Eastern religion. Yep. Like... A Who witch. has to tell someone not to offer their, have their children pass through the fire? Yeah. Well, with Molech, yeah. this was a thing. Um, or all these laws about vengeance and, uh, you know, everybody's killing or not. Well, this, this was how warfare worked then, or this is how justice was thought to be carried out. And so um, we may look at a text, for instance, First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you you look at some of the war there and stuff, and you go, "Whoa!" Like that's, <laughs> well, we live in an age where now, in many ways, war is, in aspects of war, are video games. You're flying a drone. Mm-hmm. It's very impersonal. Yep. This was not the case in, in in the ancient Near Eastern world, and if people were going to survive, yeah. Um, they needed to realize that this was a normal threat. There were just certain times of year, like we have football season, that were just war season, yeah. right? Between yep. the harvest and yep. and um, kind of the weather shaping up to be yep. amenable to war. And uh, we see this still today, for instance, in Russia and Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, where there's like talks of now this season's coming and this will affect the war in this way uh so things like that and we can go into more in depth into any of this and i'll throw it to you jason i'm talking a lot but i think the first thing when we talk about the bible that i wanted to at least dispel is the notion of one you now i would say the text is unified in christ he says Mm -hmm. these are they that there are unifying concepts and there is a unifying um actor or relational right this is god and man this is the word from god but what i what i don't mean is that um it's it's not uh like harry like the harry potter book Mm -hmm. or or like um any book i've written uh it's there's a more of a diversity um and that it uh it it's authors writing for people at a set time uh people writing as god inspires uh and that it has a 
an, an equally great diversity chronologically, demographically, geographically, linguistically, stuff like that. So I've said all that. Anything you want to jump in on that or that you would like to <clears throat> dispel or contextualize regarding the no, I think that's that's good. I think um, the I, some have said, and I don't know who first said it, but that the Bible is not necessarily a book, but it's really a library of books, right? Yeah. Where when you talk about, you know, the, the we 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 talk about sixty six books throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, and you know, as you're saying, again, different authors for many of them, different purposes, different times, different and some of them could be broken up differently. Yep. yep. Um, the anything he- in the Old Testament that's first and second. Yep. Could really be yep. one, and sometimes was. Yeah, the Hebrew Bible one. organized the Old Testament differently than what yeah. than what we do in our English Bibles. You know, so so yeah, there are different ways to organize <laughs> that. You know, but that's kind of I think a good, maybe a, a helpful way to think about that. And that when you're picking up a Bible, you're really picking up a library. You know, in your hands, uh, pretty limited, of course, and very specific uh, in its you know purpose and message, but. Um, but it's, you know, 66 different books that, um, yeah, that you can study each of them apart from each other. And then you can talk about the group as a whole, you know? Yeah. And I, I like that you say limited, but at the same time, I would say also unparalleled. Yes. Right. Historically that while, um, the Bible for as many years as we're into and people, it's not, I'm holding up a Bible for Jason. Yeah. It's not that huge a thing. The one I'm holding here right. is not yep. that big. In fact, I have a book in German on Der Schmalkaldische Bund, <laughs> Schmalkaldiklig, that, that I would say really the Bible's dwarfed. Yes, it is. Next, yep. next to that. Germans are not necessarily known for their brevity. Yeah, thank right? God the Germans yes. were not tasked with writing the scriptures. <laughs> uh, but uh, my point being, for these individual books to have been saved as they were and replicated as faithfully as they were mm-hmm. that we have manuscripts to compare right yeah. uh is you're not going to find an equivalent yeah um, you're not going to find it in government records uh from that time you're not going to find it in philosophy uh we have more reliable manuscripts for these scriptures than we do for plato Right. Um, really, not, any any other text of that time. Right. But even in religion, yeah, hundreds to, to of have times a library over. across across time like yeah. this will be unparalleled. Um, maybe we can take a little bit since we just hit on that, Jason. Uh, so there is this is across time, and we have a bunch of manuscripts and stuff mm-hmm. like that. How do we know what? Um, so someone buys a Bible, how do they know that what they're reading is the Bible if we have all these different manuscripts? Sometimes you hear people say there's all sorts of errors in the Bible, yep. and by that they're talking about variants. Maybe if you want to, yeah. how you address that with your students or just or what that comes to mind. what was written, you know, by um, those prophets hundreds of years before Jesus, the when christianity started the the christians just changed all that to make it sound more christian things like that i mean you'll see you know programs on which is what i would have done to be fair oh right yeah Yeah. you know um you you can see the see why people would say that and you could you could understand maybe the temptation to do that but so one of the things that uh has a lot of people have spent a lot of time doing and this is not just in the last generation or two even in the last century or two but 
um, has gone back hundreds of years, they have um, carefully studied those copies of the ancient manuscripts of the Bible, right? And which are copies of copies of copies. We don't have any of, we don't have a book that um, Paul wrote with his own hand, right? We don't have a, a book that Moses wrote with his own hand, um, but that has been faithfully copied and copied and copied and passed down um, through the centuries. Um, and then people have been able to go back and look at the history of these copies. And, and again, we don't have every copy that was ever made, but there are copies of New Testament books that go back to um, the first and second century, you know. So, I mean, you're talking with And more that yeah. have been found, yes. um, you know, in recent centuries even yep. for old and new yeah. that have not. There's always like two great hopes when they find stuff. Yep. There's those who hope, yep, this shows that the text is not authentic. Or there's, you know, Christians who are like, oh, this will finally silence those who yep. question the text. You know, uh, and, uh, it's and there's always somewhere in between that there's, yep. there's uh, I would say, often, if anything, it adds credibility to the scriptures on the whole. Yeah. But you'll sometimes find, um, for instance, is that the the very end of Mark, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you find one where there's that's not in, um, and and right then you get things that we can wrestle with. But there's also nothing that isn't taught elsewhere in Scripture that would yeah. be in that section. Sorry for interrupting. And, no, and I was going to say, and you'll see that in you know your English Bibles is that you know sometimes there'll be a footnote or something that says you know early manuscripts say it this way or other manuscripts say it. That. That's what they're talking about yep. is this process of comparing all of these. Um, different copies of copies um and you know that's something again uh one of the things that uh, benefited luther when he was translating the new testament is that they had just put out this uh which i believe erasmus was was the primary um one who worked with it this um edition of the greek new testament that compared i believe it was eight different new testament manuscripts to kind of come up with uh, a very the the most reliable version of that New Testament text that they could that they could find. Well, now they're literally comparing hundreds of these manuscripts because that many you know they ha- they have access to that many more and have found a number since then. And again, for the most part, uh, very faithful and reliable, which is honestly a, a testament to God's providence um, in and of itself. The fact that He's allowed his word to be faithfully copied through ages where through ages you yeah you burnt things and destroyed things when you conquered peoples well Um, and wars and all you know disasters when um climate has changed Mm -hmm. just i'm not talking like that they were driving diesel cars right but you you look at um across centuries climate changes and uh, the materials that the writing was done on aren't always yeah. amenable to, you know, changes in climate like might take place. Uh, when they're confiscated by enemies mm-hmm. of the church, uh, there's a lot. When buildings are made of wood, all wood yeah. in areas that it's really easy to have a fire. Yeah. And, you know, um, Wood with straw roofs or something like that, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, that's just waiting for fire to happen, right? Um. So when we're talking about the Bible, then it's something we have attested um, 
with all sorts of ma manuscripts, with these texts that can be compared. And I really encourage you sometimes when you're reading your Bible to look at those footnotes. And uh, if anything, it should only reassure you that these differences are, are rarely substantive. Yeah. Um, they're also, uh, the Bible then also is a book that's written, as I hit on, but I'll, maybe you can unpack this, Jason, for people at a specific time, but also for people of all time. Mm -hmm. And that affects how we read it as well. And maybe if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, so I think when you talk about each of those individual books, right, you, you have an individual author writing to a specific audience and, and spe addressing specific circumstances, right? Like you had mentioned Israel in exile uh, or something like that, or Mark, or excuse me, Matthew writing to a Jewish audience, Luke writing to a Gentile audience. So, I mean, you can see some of those things um, in their writing, right? You know, that there's a reason Luke says things this way to his primary audience and Matthew maybe, addre you know, addresses it that way, where um, Matthew probably doesn't need to give the Aramaic translation of a word or phrase because his audience would have known it where Luke on the other hand might say this is, is what was said in Aramaic which means this because you know that would be just an example of that right so um, but at the same time these writings um, that were originally intended for maybe a specific group in a specific area with a specific purpose there is uh, meaning to be found there and, and meaning that's intended there um, for God's people of all time, right? That, that um, got when, when God speaks, uh, his people should pay attention, right? And, and that idea of, we've, we've talked about, you know, there are 66 books here, but it's a relatively small volume all told, right? You know, as you compared your um, uh, German history book to the copy of the Bible there. Um, there's not a lot of words if you compare it to things, right? And, and that idea of um, understanding that the Holy Spirit, um, as he inspires these writers to, to write this, these words, th these books, is not going to waste his breath, right? And that there is a reason why he has said, this is something that I want recorded that's going to stand in scripture um, until Christ comes again. Um, and as a child of God, right, as a student of God's word, you, you know, it might not be as easy to understand in some instances rather than others why this portion is included there, right? You say, I don't know why this whole list of uh genealogy or the census right. of fighting men or or wh why do i need to know that who right? was taken in captivity right yeah, yeah exactly you know how many um how many talents of of gold or silver were used for it? but at the same time there is something to be you know taken away there and and again um and those things were often important for the people oh yes to verify things yep. and to show the legitimacy of things, yeah. Which still is the case for us, right? You know, to, to say that, you know, we can look back at this and say, these are real people in real events, you know, doing real things with, you know, um, real challenges. Right. And, and for instance, with the temple, things were this many cubits or yeah, whatever, and you go, yep. okay, 
well, when they had to rebuild it, that stuff mm-hmm. was super helpful, right? Yeah. And even with some of it, there's there's symbolism in, you know, if yeah, you're talking about sure. the, the materials or symbolism in the the dimensions and things like that. So, so there are things that even, you know, millennia later, uh, we can look at and say, you know, there's something for me to learn from this. There's something for me to take away from this. And, um, and maybe not everything directly impacts, uh, you know, um, my knowledge of Jesus died to take my sins away, but there is, um, something to take away from that, that, uh, that in many ways does, in a roundabout way, ultimately um, touch back on some of those key truths of Scripture. You know, so um, that's just something I think to to say. Yeah, we recognize that there are some portions that are maybe a little bit challenging or or don't seem to immediately have an impact on us, but but don't just dismiss them yeah. because the Holy Spirit doesn't waste his breath. He put it in there for a reason, right? And maybe need to think about it a little bit, but. And I think that's, that's helpful. Uh, maybe if we can branch it out a little bit to something that maybe people hear often. So the, the Bible, um, will talk about sexual morality. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll use that as an example. Let's not pick any set form of sexual immorality, but the Bible is pretty clear <clears throat> about adultery being sex outside of marriage. Um, and I would say it's pretty clear, although there's instances of this people breaking the principle of it's one man and one wife. And it's certainly clear in the New Testament, this is what Jesus affirms, which is why you see Christianity very clear on this. You know, there's yep. not a there's not a bishop who's a King Solomon, right? Right. With yeah. many wives. Um, so sometimes when, when issues of sexual morality will come up, You'll have people say, well, the Bible also says not to eat shellfish. Do you eat shellfish? Well, A, shellfish are gross. No, I don't. Right? <laughs> um, or you may have, for instance, in Ezra and Nehemiah, um, they return. Uh, Cyrus says they can come back, and they they return under the Persians to, to rebuild um, Jerusalem, Ezra the temple, and then Nehemiah the walls. Um, and... Uh, at one point, there's people who have married foreign wives. And uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, they have them divorce them, send them away. Now, I have never told one of the mem- members of my congregation to send someone away because their wife is of a different ethnicity or faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would not do so, right, simply on that, that basis. Uh, so someone could look at those and say, well, the Bible's written for me. It must be talking about this. <clears throat> um, I'm German and my wife's Italian or, <laughs> you know, um, or I can't eat shellfish if I want to be consistent with saying that it's not okay to commit adultery. Right. Um, how does that play in of who it was written for when um, so that we can both read it? And it is important to know. It's not as if we should say, I wish God just didn't put that stuff in there because that was important yep. at a time for a purpose. Um, but how does how does the Christian navigate there or why is it important to understand that? Yeah, I think, and there, you know, we allow Scripture to be its own, uh, our guide and its own interpreter in how we understand some of these things, right? Where... Um, 
those were part of many of those things, you know, that often are challenged. And I think, um, you know, Christians today too, you know, will point to things that were in the Mosaic law, right? But at the same time, not everything in there necessarily was intended for everyone of all time. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that the case? Well, because the Bible tells us that there were specific purposes that the law was to play. And it's and, not as if the text is, is even implies this is for right. all people. That need to yes. Out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, and some of them, some of those laws directly governed how Israel was to set up tents in the wilderness as they were wandering around. Well, that didn't even apply to Israel of, you know, the the right. whole time of Israel. Or David right? gets in trouble for taking a census. Yeah. But while I'm annoyed when the census taker comes to my house and asks yep. personal information and the like rebel in me wants to be like, it's none of your business. Yep. I can't be like this. You're violating my faith. Yeah. And you're not waiting, waiting for the, uh, you know, the destroying angel to right. come by and strike down the census yes. man, you know, right. Uh, that's right. just not, not going to happen. Right. Uh, but Sometimes I am waiting, but then <laughs> right. it's a huge waste of time. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but that's where you know. Again, if we're if we study scripture and listen to what it says, and again, not you know, we start with that immediate context of what's being said, but then also say um, we need to look at the whole of this, right? Uh, and then as we um, come to the you know, New Testament fulfillment of things in Christ, we hear these Old Testament laws specifically, you know, were shadows, right? Shadows pointing ahead. You know, they were they were to help prepare Israel um, for the coming of the Messiah. Some of, One of the purposes that they had was to keep Israel um, together as a people and separate from the, the rest of the nations of the earth, right? And not merely if, that Christ should have some ethnic purity. Right. Um, but people sometimes don't understand the nature of many of the religions yeah. around where Israel finds itself yep. um, in the Middle East, in the ancient Near East. This This was not... People would be in our day, in a day and age that's already immersed in violence and... Mm-hmm. Um, sexual immorality and indifference to life, right? People, even in our day, would be shocked oh, yeah. by many of the practices associated with it. So not just that there would that Jesus would have some sort of like good DNA. Right. Although it was important that he be, you know, seed of Abraham. Yeah. Um but that there would be um that there would be people of Yahweh to receive him and mm-hmm. proclaim him uh, w- when he came, right? That there would be the audience that would then become um, those who planted the seeds for what would become the Christian church throughout the world. And it also speaks to the fact <coughs> that there can be no doubt that God kept the promises that he made, right? That exactly. said, this is, a, this is how this is going to play out. Well, now there's no doubt about that. And, and that like, goes back to the library. Yeah. This library of promises. Yep. Yeah. So so going back to the, well, does that still apply or not? Or, you know, to, to recognize that the Bible does say that the some of these things have served their purpose and have been fulfilled. But at the same time, the Bible also makes clear that 
there are certain things here that um, God intends to be his will for all people of all time. Yeah. Right? Um, and that idea of... And Jesus or the New Testament reiterate oh, yes. things to make that yep. clear. Yeah, so saying that, you know, this this was part of the law of Moses, but it's also was there before the law of Moses, and it's there after the law of yeah. Moses. It was written on hearts. It's part of... Yep. It's part of the the law of nature that's yes. written into creation yeah you know. and that idea of or built know, into creation would be a better yeah way yeah of god's intent for um the use of um sexuality and sexual desire to be between one man and one woman united in marriage i mean that goes back to creation itself and jesus of course mm-hmm. it, it's in the law of moses it but it's also repeated by Christ and the apostles yep. in the New Testament and oftentimes by going back and pointing to the creation account. And it's, it's account, not right? something that many cultures have even had to have a Bible to figure out. Right, yeah. We see it across time, not always equally clearly because mm-hmm. we are able to um, be improperly formed. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Um, but we, we see it um, to a stunning degree represented it's kind of like you shall not murder. Now everybody can descri- describe murder differently, mm-hmm. and every some cultures are more um, lenient on aspects of what we might consider, uh, break, you know, breaking the fifth commandment. But kind of every culture, to some degree, shows an understanding of what the fifth commandment is out to do, yeah. or the sixth commandment with regard to, to if you sp- cause somebody's life to end. That was bad. Yeah, or if you do, if you are negligent and harm comes to them, yep. that there's some way of whether it's going to the city walls mm-hmm. and talking to the elders, or going to a court of law to get remuneration. Yeah, that idea that an accident is different than right an intentional act. Yeah. Um. And I think this is where, uh, in our own day, reading the scriptures. It, regarding things we're talking about right now is as challenging as it's ever been is because there is a real cultural and chronological hubris mm-hmm. um, that is not just American, but it is especially American, Yeah. Um, but Western. But it also comes with every time. Like, yeah. if you read the Old Testament and you're wondering, man, why are they like, why would they set up these Baals and Asherahs and like, be like, yeah, we still worship Yahweh too, but this, it's because they thought the people before them were just kind of quaint and they knew better now, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is hardwired into the fallen human experience that there's this, this chauvinism, um, generational chauvinism. And it's something we all experienced during our teenage years where you were going to do the opposite of your parents or whoever else, or Bob Dylan says, don't trust anybody over 30. <laughs> Why? Because you were of a, because you're of a newer time, you're better, right? I found this even with products. Products don't necessarily get any better. There are things we did better as far as products oh, yeah. in the past that I go, I just wish we yep. still did that, yep. right? Um, you know, sometimes these cars now, you rent a car or whatever, and it's got all these doohickey screens, whatever. Sometimes I just wish I miss, like, my 96 Ford Ranger, you know? Um, 
and didn't have power locks, didn't what, but it just did what I wanted it mm-hmm. to do, you know. Yep. Um, and I drove it till it died. Uh, you know, there's there's something to that, uh, but especially in our own which was day, probably a couple hundred thousand miles worth of driving, right? Yeah. Uh, but especially in our own day, where we have been spoiled with technological advance, and um, now we're quickly undoing it, which right. Mm-hmm. USA, USA, um, <laughs> but quality of life. Uh, yep. We've lived in a very uh, um, blessed time uh, for which we ought to be thankful to our fathers and mothers who helped bring that about and to God who has, has granted it. Um, but we sometimes look at the past and, and we don't even hesitate to make judgments on people who did not have our same lived experience or or information, mm-hmm. um, and we sometimes fail to appreciate the amazing, stunning things they accomplished yeah. without what we have. Uh, and so there are things that the scriptures do address um, that lay down a principle that we ought to hold across time, but in their application at that point in history, uh, it was it was different. Right, um, so we can recognize that too. Uh, so, for instance, I may be able to look at parts of the ceremonial or civic um, law, mosaic law, which is for Israel at that time, but find principles that are really for people of all time. Luther does this in how Christians should regard Moses. He says there's there's some really good principles of government yeah. in the mosaic law, and then those things you can also find them in the natural law. Right, not everything has to be spelled out always in the Bible. Yeah, well, uh, the even Bible. In, the, in the commandments in the in the catechism, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, saying, "Well, remember the Sabbath day," that well, that means something a little bit different for New Testament Christians yep. than it did for Old Testament Jewish yep. believers. But we still need rest, and we still need right. to hear the yes. word. And, yep. and Luther's very good with that. Um, and so, I would encourage us always to step back and remember sometimes to read those texts and say you know what, like, yeah, that it's weird God said this to them then, but it made sense then, and here's the principle behind it that maybe is useful for today. Um, I've been rereading the Old Testament this summer. As I got so frustrated with trying to narrow down research stuff and do whatever that I'm like, I'm just going to like pray God gives me a direction <laughs> on that, and I'm going to read the Bible in the meanwhile because yeah. it's just to read right through. So I I just got through Job. Right, um, but you read through first and second, the the first and seconds, the Samuel's Kings. Yep, yep. And there's stuff where you just go, what? Yeah. But then when you stop back and you go, you know, step back. And go, well, why, why, why this? Right. Um, and there's some real principles that can be deduced from that, <clears throat> but it's not as if now. Um, and we can say this bad thing happened because we had this bad ruler. Yeah. Because A, our rulers aren't called to be what the kings of Israel and Judah were called to be. But B, you end up falling in a theodicy. Here God is saying this happened because of this. And what's the principles that can be drawn? Well, bad leadership is going to lead <laughs> to future generations suffering, right? Yeah. Um, and that uh, my relationship to the state, to that leader, um, is it very important for my soul in the sense of um, if I let the leader or the, the state become 
God for me or lead me. <clears throat> right, the rulers often blame for leading people into idolatry. Um, right, there there can be uh, dangers to me that I want to be aware of too. Right. Uh, so it's not that those texts are just dis- even with like the dietary laws. You don't. You can eat shellfish if you want. You can have bacon, but on the whole, like the mosaic cleanliness and dietary laws, mm-hmm. it's a pretty good diet, and uh, <coughs> the cleanliness stuff. Having just yeah. been in a pandemic now, like we've been, it's pretty good. Yeah, what God is saying, like about washing your hands and stuff. Yep. Now I can't say it's a New Testament law that you have to wash in the way they say to wash, but I am going to judge you. I, I even before COVID, when I see people in the bathroom that just walk out, right. I have I have had whole relationships with people that I would say have radically changed <laughs> because of my perception of them because I've seen them because of exiting un- the bathroom, not wash but, their hands yeah. and just and just walk out. Wow. Um, I can't say that's a a biblical law like you're a bad Christian now, yep. but I can say you're a bad person. Right. Is that fair, Jason? I'm sure. <laughs> can I, I, can't say, like, I just want to assure hands. you, I wash my hands. I've washed. Come, yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. I so. notice these things. Oh, good. I'm glad glad you took note. So. Yeah. Um, anywhere you want to go, whether I hit on it or you want to go somewhere else, the Bible I, in general, what you wish. So one thing I, th- I think, you know, when you're talking about some of those Old Testament, the, the Bible history type of stories that you're, you know, going through the first and seconds and things like that. The other thing, you know, they, they offer wonderful illustrations of of some of these principles at work. And I think that, you know, that's a, a good reminder for, you know, not just readers or students of scripture, but preachers as well that, you know, say, man, there's some incredible illustrations of, of God's <coughs> principles at work in some of that old Testament Bible history. Um, the other thing uh, I, you mentioned, you want to talk Canon at some point. Do you want to yeah, get that. into that? Yeah. So, so C A N O N. Not C A N N O N, which is also awesome. Yes, but um, not quite as many big kabooms in yeah. this type of canon. So canon meaning kind of rule or norm. And here, uh, <coughs> sometimes you'll hear um, people talk about a Protestant Bible or a Catholic Bible. Uh, and <coughs> I remember hearing um, someone who was a Lutheran telling me, that at their high school dance, someone told them, leave enough room for a Catholic Bible. <laughs> and they meant, like, don't be too close. Like, a Catholic Bible's right. bigger. So, yep. My confirmation Bible has stuff in it that Jason's confirmation Bible, I'm guessing, did not. True. Namely, the Apocrypha, as Protestants refer to it, um, or as Catholics refer to it. Jason, do you know? I'd, the Deuterocanonical. Oh, Deuterocanonical. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, which you wouldn't know, but yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't know that was the preferred Catholic term for it. That is the preferred it, but... nomenclature, yeah. Oh, gotcha. Um, and this can be different books. Uh, so, for instance, um, Maccabees. There's multiple books of Maccabees. Syrac, which is a very helpful book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it can be parts of a book. For instance, Daniel um, is longer Although in a Roman Catholic translation of the Bible, that part will be in italics. Um, but so it will be attached to Daniel. Yeah, so I actually okay. have, and I recommend this. So if you have, if you are use the ESV like I use, um, which is my preferred translation and nothing against, 
Well, there it is something against the NIV, the updated. I'm not a fan of that, but we'll save that for another day. But when you <laughs> when you translate Genesis like it's a kid rock song, uh, <clears throat> uh, in the EHV I haven't used enough to say. But I found this, Jason. So this is an ESV, Ooh. and the Indian um, Roman Catholic Church uh, Indian scholars have now come out. It's called the Catholic edition, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. so I. Um, I have it with me as I take it as a, the ESV text, so far as I can tell, is identical for all the canonical books. Mm-hmm. But the deuterocanonical are included, whereas like if you get an ESV like Lutheran Study Bible or whatever right. else, you have to buy a separate right. book yeah. for the Apocrypha. But just to give you what I'm talking about here um, with, uh, with Daniel, uh, oh, I just passed it. You can see here I'm... I'm going to be showing Jason Daniel 3. It gives alternate versing, so it still keeps the Protestant versing, but it adds verses. And then the italics would be, this is actually a canticle that's used in the Office of the Hours hmm. in Roman Catholicism and in Anglicanism, Anglicanism yep. also. Um, but uh, so you have these books that would be different. These books come through the Septuagint, uh, many of them. So these are things that were included in the Septuagint. The Septuagint was never the authoritative Hebrew scriptures. It was a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures for people in the diaspora and even people in Israel, right? The apostles in their letters sometimes quote the Septuagint. And if you're a pastor, it's good to have a Septuagint. You should be able to read it because you've taken Greek. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And the Septuagint text is often very helpful because it translates Hebrew words that maybe we're not positive on the exact meaning of, and it's people who would have known translating it well those books are always kind of floating around and until trent they're not officially part of the roman catholic canon um at trent they will be made in part because if you want to make a case for purgatory from the bible you're going to have to (laughs) go to maccabees and even there it's a bit of a, a stretch um but in part also because um in reaction to some Protestants rejecting these. Now, here I'll throw it to you. Um, Luther sometimes can seem like a very liberal, historical, critical Bible scholar. Yeah. He talks about James. Yep. And he kind of says, this seems to conflict with Paul. This is an epistle of straw. He doesn't throw it out, but he says some stuff like that sounds like this is less Bible <clears throat> mm-hmm. than Romans, maybe. Um, he doesn't throw out the apocryphal books. But he does put them separate, right? You can see in the Bible I have here, they're just right in the middle of the Old Testament, right? They're not, they're not in a back separate section. They're, they just happen to fall where they fall. Um, but, uh, but he does have them there. But maybe if we can first take how do Lutherans relate to those books, and then we'll backtrack to how did we get a canon. Does that sound fair, Jason? Sure. We're going to yeah. go a little long this episode, but let's have fun. Mike's not here to tell us to, to wrap it up. Yeah. So I'm right. going to throw to you first, how do Lutherans relate to these other books? And these books yeah. are separate from what you might hear called pseudepigraphal books, yeah. or do which you, the church never recognized. Do you want to do a follow-up, like just on No, let's just apocrypha? do this real quick, and then oh, we can unpack okay. it more later if we want. All right. Yeah. So <clears throat> I would say... Uh, <laughs> Oftentimes, you know. Are you jealous of this? I am kind of. It's a yeah, nice book. It's it like is ten bucks. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice, nice resource, especially to have them uh, kind of in there, you know, yeah. instead of so. So, if Lutherans have these in their Bibles today, 
they'll probably be all between the Old Testament and New Testament, right? Um, and it'll be one. And if your family has like an heirloom Bible, an yeah. old Luther Bible, that's where you'll find them yep. in the German. Yeah, and and I would say that it's probably a King James Bible because most of the more recent ones don't even include them. I, like, like, that's what I said. You know, well, I meant if a, you have a German Bible. Oh, right. Because yeah. Luther if you have did a German, them, Yes, yeah. yeah. And that's where Luther had them, right? Um, and I would say most Lutherans today um, just kind of say, well, these are, you know, um, they really don't belong here, you know. And I think that's probably more so because... And maybe don't read them at all. Either. And, and, yeah, and I'm not going to read them because I don't want... There's lots of bad things in there or something like that. Uh I would say I think that's maybe a bit of an a misunderstood take on those. I think it's maybe a bit of an overreaction because they're maybe seen as, oh, these are in Roman Catholic Bibles and I'm a Lutheran and I'm not going to read them. But, you know, Luther took a very different approach, right? He said, and he quotes them often. Yeah, he quotes yeah. them often. Um, he, he did, not only did he translate them and include them in his German Bible, but he wrote prefaces to them yeah. as well. And addition. he would never use them to establish an article of right. faith using just them, yeah. but he does see them as sometimes being helpful. Yeah, and that's where I would say they they are considered um, useful, but not considered part of the proper yep. scriptures. And since most English translations today come from non-Lutheran mm-hmm. um publishing houses, although Lutherans are often involved, and because the King James was so influential yep. and did not usually include these things as time goes on, right, um, most Bibles Lutherans are going to get because they want a quality translation are not going to have yeah. this other than this, they should be sponsoring us, this <laughs> right? Catholic yeah. edition of the ESV. Yep. Um, so, you just said canon proper, I believe. Yeah, well I said the proper or scriptures, but I would say, yeah, the other word that we could have used is that they're not truly part of the canon. And right? so what do we mean now? What makes a book canonical? And here, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, Lutherans make a distinction that not all Protestants do that I think is a very helpful distinction. Within the canon, we even talk about uh, the legomenas. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want me to... You're good to go with that? Or yeah, I'm good okay. to go with that, yeah. So um, maybe you can talk about what what is what makes something canon, and then why do we have these legomenas? Yeah. So canon, or the, the thing, the, you mentioned already that canon was kind of a rule or a standard, right? And so we talk about the canon of Scripture being those established books, right? Those that are recognized as being truly authoritative coming from like a chain of custody yeah yeah and most of the time the old testament was pretty well set right because jesus had that jesus kind of put his stamp of approval on that so no one's going to question the the bible that jesus used Mm -hmm. because jesus used it right because he could have been at some point like first kings is garbage yeah yeah but he he never does that right he refers to the old testament as we know the old testament and the scriptures he calls them a, a comprehensive Yep. Where in the New Testament, it usually goes back to, is it written by an apostle or someone who is very closely, a, a very close companion of an apostle? Um, like uh, Matthew was an apostle himself, but Luke was a traveling companion of 
the Apostle Paul, spent a lot of time with Paul, but was not an apostle and himself. Mark would have known the apostles in Jerusalem yeah. and was a companion of yeah. Paul. Yeah, was close with Peter and traveled with Paul, right? Yeah. You know, so so you have, have those examples, right? Um, and then I think, so there's that, the external... Was Mark perhaps the most connected of the evangelists? Because Matthew could, was an apostle and yep. he would have known the apostles well, but not done as much with Paul. Right, yeah. Um, Luke would have known Paul as well, but yeah. not necessarily all the other apostles as well. Right. And John? John? It, we don't maybe, it, I would say Mark or John. Yeah. Because John definitely is rooted in the Jerusalem church. Yep. They probably meet at his mother's house, but then he spends a ton of time with Peter. Yeah. And he also spent time with Paul, and then also spent time with Barnabas. Who, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of a... Did you know I like Mark? I know you like Mark. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Go I ahead. I do. Yeah. Um, and the... So... And then, the, so that's kind of that, is there, is there a connection to the apostles, those who are the closest followers of Jesus and those that were entrusted with the leadership of the early Christian church by Jesus, right? Um, but then there's also the content, right? That does the content match the rest of the scriptures? And the apostolic teaching and the that apostolic people would have teaching, been familiar yes. with at the time. Yes, right. So that kind of goes hand in hand with that. Um, and so then there is... And these are things, by the way, I'm sorry for interrupting so nope. much, that people would have, they had ample time and ability to speak against oh, yes. and would have been easily falsified because people were alive that you could have gone and talked yeah. to. We, we would have clear witness of the church if there was any of these that was just way out there. Yes. Sometimes we have mixed witness of the church. Like some people that go, the Revelation or Apocalypse of John, mm -hmm. that seems different. Um, but not so much people saying, John didn't write this or it's yeah. inconsistent. Um, but there are things where, where the church does say, this book is, this is this is not kosher, right. so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And a, a lot of times those were the ones that are thrown out end up coming from a later period, too, that... that you know, these were around from the time of the apostles because the apostles had written them, right? Um, and some of those that, oh, wait, wait, I found one that Peter wrote too. Well, that comes up maybe 100, 150, 200 years later and say, um, how come right. nobody else knew about this? Right. And there's some things in here that is not in Peter's other writings, right? So so there was that idea then of um, the those that are recognized are part of what's called the canon, right? And um, they, they become, so there's this standard of scripture and then th that scripture becomes the standard for what is taught, right? The, the apostolic teaching in black and white yep. after the apostles themselves are gone. Yep. So did you want to say more and, about and, the... And part of the reason this even comes up is um, maybe just briefly we mentioned Marcion mm -hmm. is going to be Marcion who... It's fair to say he's probably an anti-Semite. Yeah. He's really got a bone to pick with the yeah. Jews. And he also doesn't like the Old Testament God who seems angry. Yeah. And this is, it's not an unusual struggle for people to sometimes reconcile what seems to be a God of wrath and part of the Old Testament with this humble Jesus who gives mm -hmm. his life on the cross. Uh, Augustine struggled with this before becoming sure. a Christian. Uh, but Marcion then tries to like, get rid of what he considers the Jewish books or the angry God books. And the church is like, no, 
these are these are writ- authoritative. They're written by people who are speaking authoritatively. They 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 are consistent with the message of the prophets and the apostles, and this is part of what drives codifying the canon. Sometimes mm-hmm. people will say, "Well, it wasn't until this council that the canon was officially made." There was a sense of the canon long before anything mm-hmm. was ever put into writing. So that's just something maybe for us to be aware of, too. Yeah. And it's not that Nicaea or something says this is the canon that makes the canon. Um, the canon is something that pretty early on, because it wasn't either as if a church got one of these letters and then the secretary like, that sometimes would happen in a parish today of like, oh, yeah, put it in the filing cabinet. Like yep. these were copied and shared. Yep. Um, and Paul even intended them to be so. In some letters, he makes clear that this should be the case. Um the, and I think, too, keep in mind, like, Marcion is much closer to the time of Nicaea in the 300s than the time of the Apostles. Right. And this idea. And, and I think that that um, another way to put it, which I think is a helpful thing, and I'm not sure who's the first one that said this either, but that the canon itself is not an authoritative list of books that somebody put their stamp of approval and said, now the list is approved. And because we said this is the list, that's the li- it's not an authoritative list of books. It's a list of authoritative books. The right. books are authoritative because they are. That's right. just the and, nature and of the book. And be- maybe the good way to say it then is the canon was recognized. Yes. The canon wasn't um, codified or created. Yeah. And this will be an important distinction to be made between Protestants and Roman Catholics. Yeah. Um, and now do you want to do you want to get into the leguminas then? Sure, the just le- real quick. Okay. So when, when, when Matthias Flacius Hilaricus, when Flacius writes his... You like him too. Yeah. His <laughs> master's thesis, he argues against, or he argues that the Masoretic pointing, so in Hebrew there's vowel points and other th- yeah. stuff that was added later. He argues it's original. Mm. And he argues it because the Roman Catholic Church argued, well, if the Masoretic pointing came later, it shows that the church stands over the scriptures, ah. not vice versa. And still today the church will argue, like sometimes you'll have like a... Roman Catholic, especially apologists, like smugly say, like, oh, you Protestants like your Bible? We gave that, to, like, we created it. No. Hmm. A, Rome didn't do any such thing. The church right. was much more Eastern yep. than Roman in orientation at this time. Um, B, it recognized it. So that will be important for that. But within this, even though there is a canon, um, Lutherans and many will make a distinction between homologoma and antilogomena. And I'm going to throw this to you, Jason. We'll unpack it, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. But I think this gives a nice overview then for the episode of kind of what you're encountering in the Bible. So go ahead. Yeah, so again, now we're talking New Testament books, right? Because, again, the Old Testament was set. Uh, but there were those that everybody recognized this is this is Scripture. It belongs in the canon. John's Gospel. John's Gospel. Romans. Romans, Galatians, really the all the letters that Paul wrote, all the Gospels. Um, so, and basically, what homo legumina means is they're agreed upon. Everyone speaks of them every, the same. Right. Homo. They speak with the same voice. These are um, scripture, right? They agree in their um, and everyone is agreed about them. Everyone is agreed. Will, nobody, yeah. nobody challenges the fact that maybe not. Right, that may, maybe not this one, maybe not Ephesians, right, or something like that. The antilegomena are those that are part of part of the canon, but there are some in and and again, this is throughout the history of the church. There have been some 
that have spoken against them. And that's the, the anti-legumina part, right? Spoken against. And we know in pretty much every instance why they spoke against yeah. so that we can yep. wrestle with that. But go ahead. Yep. So like Revelation is part of that group because Re- it's weird. Revelation is weird, right? And it and it deals with some challenging things. And, uh, and, and it was written late. So you don't have that maybe longer testimony of apostolic witness. Because keep in mind, John is not martyred. John lives... Yeah. Quite a long time. He does, yeah. Um, he's exiled eventually, but this, yeah, this is able to be. Yeah. It's not to say this is not um, John's authorship. Right. But but John is going to very much outlive some of the apostles who were martyred early Yes, on. yeah. And where, yeah, exactly, where John's brother James is martyred. He got bef- short under the straw. Yeah. A short straw. You know, while, while the, Drew the before the book of Acts was written, right? You know, yeah. so, so, yeah, so this is... Um, uh, that John was just like, go live in Minnesota. <laughs> right, yeah. That's how I picture Pat most. <laughs> Minnesota, huh? Yeah. Well, like was, on 14 when you're between yeah. towns Do you know? and you get those stretches where yeah. the snow just blows, yep. that's kind of how I picture Pat Yeah, most. that could be. Yeah, I mean, out in the middle of the, the ocean there. Like the only other people around, like Viking fans with that stupid horn. Yeah, right. Goldilocks. Got to listen to the horn yeah. the whole time, yeah. yeah. And, you know, a couple of these other books, you know, it was um, – Jude. Jude is a little bit weird. Maybe not as well known, right? Um, it's James, really short. Really short. James is one where, you know, some of the challenging, which is what, you know, some of the things that Luther was wrestling with were some of the things that those earlier in the church had wrestled with. Is he contradicting what Paul says or what's going on here? You know, yeah. um, Hebrews, which of course was written by Paul, but not everyone acknowledges that. Yeah. And the, I think I'm the only one on the third floor who thinks it was Paul. Who yeah. do you think it was? Yeah. Uh, who Are you do a I Barnabas guy? No, I kind of, I, I kind of like Apollos. Oh, well, that could be. Yeah. I think it like Paul just wanted to have fun, because Paul was like he was an academic theologian. Yeah. And I feel like with Hebrews, he's like, I'm just gonna do some academic theology and, and not put my name on it, you know. Unlike any other work that, yeah, I, yeah right. Because I'm just having fun with this, right? One. Yeah. So I mean, and that's when I think Hebrews, nobody would question the content whatsoever. Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's phenomenal and stuff. And it's rooted in the Old Testament. Yeah. But the fact that there's no name attached to it that just leads people to say, well, but is it really apostolic? Because there, yeah. there are lots of good um, letters and, and things that are written by those that aren't necessarily apostles, a generation or two removed or, yeah. or so that, that are really good reading. stuff. Yeah. yeah, that are worth reading, but they're not scripture. Right. They're not and, they, and they would bear authority insofar as they're consistent with scripture in the yeah. same way that your pastor's sermon yep. bears authority insofar as it's consistent with scripture. Yeah. And even even made maybe greater than your pastor's sermon in that these these have stood the test of time. Right. Yeah. Right. Um they've they've stood scrutiny. Yeah. Um but not authoritative in the way that uh we are bound to them. Yeah, I don't I don't know if anyone will be um quoting a, a sermon that I've written some, you know, like right. two thousand years after. But think the of fact. even with Luther for Lutherans, um we will sometimes quote Luther in a way that bears some sort of authority, right, that's saying like here is Luther who was really good on this, his take on this. Um, you know, and we're maybe quoting in a way of saying, like, your take maybe isn't as good. Yeah. Um, but we're not we're not going to take a confessional um, a vow pledging ourselves to Luther or to the um, apostolic fathers. Right. Um, and the apostolic fathers are not apostles, right? These are those trained by yep. apostles. Yep. Uh, but is, Jason, then antilegomena, um, does that mean they're less important or that we ought not I mean should I only be spending my time in homo legumina should I only be preaching from that 
what's the point of that distinction? I think practically speaking, yeah, the, for theology, I think number one is to recognize that 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 has happened, right? That there have been some that have raised questions. So I think number one, it's to recognize that, but I think also um, to say uh, the, the way the church I think has looked at that is to say, okay, well, just to just to be sure that. Uh, there is no question about we're where, going to be upfront with you. The yeah, church is saying, yep, yep, that we're going to be upfront with you so that you recognize, Hey, we, we understand people have spoken against these and we're also, we're not going to, to draw any teaching of scripture only from something that we have seen in a book that's considered anti-legomena. And which, that's the wonderful thing about scripture. There's nothing in those books that you go, yeah. Oh, I guess that teaches not authoritative because yep. it's not anywhere else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Which, but surprise, surprise, there's not anything there that you would take issue, right? right. You know, um, so so I would say that's just the thing is that even that really adds to the certainty that we have mm-hmm. that um, again those teachings of scripture really are um, accurate and faithful and truthful. You know, yeah. so and maybe then as we wrap up, I think a lot of what I'm hoping we were getting at, and I think we have, is a lot of times kind of the Bible is conveniently dismissed mm-hmm. or the church is conveniently dismissed because of its relation to the Bible. Oh, that's just an old book or it's full of old wives tales or, um, that's not the case. Um, or those texts aren't reliable. The fact is no book has been more scrutinized mm-hmm. over as much time by as many people with as many resources as the scriptures. And really, whenever the big problems come in where someone is, um, there are are Christians and there are people using the Bible who come out, arrive at horrible positions and say horrible things. Or even, maybe not in the realm of horrible, are just wrong. Right. Um, But that's that's, uh, going to be a problem with how one is approaching and using the Bible, not with the text itself. Are there things in the Bible that are horrible and I hope are never replicated? Yes. I hope I never have to do warfare like they did Mm -hmm. warfare. And yet at the same time, when I properly understand that time and place, who was being spoken to and why, um, that doesn't now make the Bible a horrible book. That makes clear that God had to work with some horrible situations in horrible places, and yet that's the people he had to work with. The same as, well, why isn't Genesis written in a way that would, you know, um, be clear to people in the 21st century? Well, it was written before the scientific revolution. And if you were going to tell someone in 1500 (laughs) B.C., Um, you're going to try to talk to them about some of the things we know about the universe and the human body. That was not. And Adam and Eve had DNA. Yeah. People. What? Yeah. Um, or like in Joshua, the sun stood still. From a human perspective, right, this is how people knew and understood the word. And so God is teaching them about themselves, about him, about creation and about the relationship between the all in ways they can understand. And that doesn't make it a worse text, I would even propose, Jason. Brother Jason. 
I'd say it makes it all the richer because there's so much more to dig in and to understand yep. and to unpack. Um, and, and so um, hopefully this episode somewhat helps realize how forthright God and the church have been about the scriptures throughout history. Um, God himself um, in choosing people to write it down and to be pretty forthright about what they're writing and why. There's not a lot of books where you're just like, I mean, you you have Job, who was Job, Mm -hmm. but Job is purposefully that, because Job is about the human experience, and it doesn't matter, right, that I know what Job's address was. Right. I especially like that Job probably wasn't even a Jew. Right. He's an Edomian. He's probably an Edomite. Um, This is, you don't even have to be a Christian or a Jew to, you're, you have wrestled with Job, whether you know it or not, and have ever heard of Job. That's just, um, but usually we know this is why it's being written. We're being told this is the per- point of this book, um, and the church has been very forthright. Uh, are there churches that do act like it's just this magical book that fell from heaven mm-hmm. uh, and come up with weird positions? Sure. But on the whole, um, historically, and we're both church historians, uh, the church has been pretty upfront. Right. Here's the canon. Here's how we've got it. Here's who had what. Here's what didn't show up. Um, you know, here's what needs to be understood in time, what transcends time. Uh, this, this is not something that's been, that's been hidden. You can buy an abundance of books that, that talk about these things oh, written yeah. even by, by Christians. You're not being asked to take some leap of faith that ignores history and culture and language. In fact, when the church is churching well, it's calling you deeper into history and culture and and language, if that makes sense. And I'll yep. let you have the final word. Just be sure to say, let the bird fly at the end, Jason. All right. Take as long as you want. Yeah. Mike's not here. I don't care how long we go. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think, too, that uh, with what you're saying is, you know, it can be disheartening sometimes when you hear attacks against Scripture and things like that. And, and I think at the same time for the Christian... Um, to not be afraid to engage with some of those challenges because, um, again, not like on Reddit and stuff. Though. No, right. Yeah. Um, like in maybe real not, life. Yeah, yeah. Not on social media probably is the best way to, 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 to handle some of those, but, uh, or to say that, um, this is now completely undermined, um, scripture and your faith and what God has said there. Um, because as you mentioned, this has been studied, this has been, wrestled with and grappled with by some of the greatest thinkers across human history. Um, and I would say that don't be afraid to dig into and seek out answers there um, because I don't think you're going to be disappointed. I think, I think you'll find that, that there is um, more good and more answers to be found than, than that you'll be left with questions that are still begging for answers. And that answers. might be a process. I'm sorry to refer to it, but no. I would say we can all have our times where we really struggle with something um, recognize a that's part of being a Christian. Yes, that's part of um, the Christian life, and B usually that really works out for your good because it thrusts you deeper into something, and C sometimes it it takes a while to have things driven home both right. through like an intellectual investigation, but also um, through Christian experience, and I don't mean that in a mystical way. But the text is done to us, right? Yeah. That that sometimes yeah. life 
opens the Bible for me because yeah. I hadn't experienced something before, and now this text makes sense. Yeah. Right. As you struggle and wrestle with those things, and, and that really probably leaves us with only you know, one other thing to say. Let the bird fly. Don't care what